Hello, and welcome to Business Talk, brought to you by Business West and Living Local. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS, and I'd like to introduce our host of Business Talk. He's the editor and associate publisher of Business West. Here's George O'Brien. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Business Talk. I'm George O'Brien, editor of Business West Magazine in Springfield. Happy to be with you today. Very happy to be with you today, as a matter of fact. We've got uh, an exciting guest with you today. He is Tony Signoli, the president of the AL Signoli Company in Springfield. Uh, Most of you know he is one of the preeminent political consultants in this area. He's the one that everybody turns to, and we want to know when turnout is going to be or who's going to win the next election or What's going to happen four years from now? Tony, how are you this morning? I'm great. A little, still a little sleep deprived and over caffeinated, but uh, functioning. <laughs> functioning. Yeah. You and John yeah. King. I don't know who should yes. be more tired. Uh, you didn't have to do the magic wall for. Uh, no, no. What, I didn't have to do the math. So that was good. Well, we're happy to have you with us here today. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, obviously, we want to talk about what happened. Earlier this month um, on Election Day, we wanted to talk about what didn't happen on Election Day, well, maybe why what happened happened. But um, let's just start by, you know, sure. for those of you who don't know about you and A.L. Signoli, uh, just talk for a few minutes about uh, who you are and what you do. Sure. Springfield is home base. I'm a political consultant. We represent a lot of corporate clients and certainly a lot of political clients as well, too. We're pretty spread out. Though Springfield's home uh, from Maine to Michigan to Tennessee, uh, Florida, we've been involved in an awful lot of campaigns, whether it be U.S. Senate, Congress in general, uh, gubernatorial campaigns. We've had an opportunity years back to uh, even go across the pond a couple of times for some international races, Peru, Italy. Uh, so every day is a little Peru? something different. Yeah, Peru, not Massachusetts, the country. <laughs> yeah, and that was kind of fun. What, what exactly does your work involve, just so people will know? Sure. We're, now we're kind of at the, the point in this game where I play more the role of senior consultant. The, uh, maybe it's just time has passed, George. I don't know. But I'm usually the player that will come in and take a look at the entire campaign, organize it, figure out who the best folks are to bring in uh, to do this certain, the, the key elements of a campaign, whether that be who's going to handle message, who's handling polling, who is going to be in charge of voter identification and get out the vote, data mining, et cetera, and overall strategy. So predominantly the overall strategist. In addition to all this, of course, and as I said, uh, most of the local media relies on Tony to tell them what might happen on Election Day and why what's going to happen on Election Day might happen, everything from polling <laughs> to predictions to explaining what happened when it was all over. That is his unofficial role here in Western Massachusetts, and we're going to kind of lean into that a little bit today. So, Tony, just in in, in kind of very brief terms, we we saw a dramatic turnabout on Tuesday. Do you want to just talk very briefly about what happened and why you think it happened? There's an awful lot of layers to this particular onion. When we talk about the massive change, certainly that's the presidential first and foremost, to take a look at how many people voted in America for either Donald Trump or for Joe Biden. Stunning to see this kind of a turnout. Uh, What happened? Certainly on both sides, there was a massive organization done in a very different way strategically uh, by both campaigns to get their base, to get their voters out. Trump using the same tools predominantly that he had in 
2016 and using greatly, I think, too, you know, the pulpit of the presidency that was beneficial to him. Very different campaign styles between the two. But for the Biden team, it was a lot of deep strategy, data mining, significant use of social media uh, to a degree beyond what Trump had even done in 2016, uh, taking the best of Obama 2008 and going a step beyond even the 2016 efforts that Trump uh, certainly did very, very well relative to social media. Uh, it came down to ground troops in a lot of ways, George, uh, to make this happen for Joe Biden. You know, a few folks, I guess I guess I had said this in the Boston Globe last week, that it was a shell shocking for a lot of Democrats to see how tight the race was, that they did not prevail in the United States Senate, did not take some Senate campaign seats that uh, pollsters indicated were theirs to take. The, the difficult piece, I think, came down to had not all that work been done by the Democrats, not all that money spent, all that effort expended, you would have seen a, a worst Tuesday overall. Uh, it took all that work to get the Biden happen, the Biden campaign to become a reality, for that victory to become a reality. So did the pollsters get it wrong again? I mean, the people were very <laughs> quick to jump on the pollsters again, yeah. Yeah. you know, predicting Biden by double digits in most cases, or at least the high single digits. Yeah. Yeah. People yes want to be no. on the pollsters again, but then they're saying, <laughs> no, the pollsters weren't that far off. Yeah. What's your take on that? Yes, yes and no. Polling is such an infinite science right now, given the difficulty you've got really reaching people, whether it's getting through to them on cell phones, making sure you're in the right demographics. But if you look overall, the pollsters gave a pretty good indication of what was shaking going on and happening. What they may have missed in some instances, especially in those U.S. Senate campaigns was the overall feeling from a lot of folks out there in the middle, not specifically Democrat or Republican, or as we like to separate Republican from Trump in a lot of ways as we look at polls right now. When we look at the impact on Senate campaigns, what pollsters may have missed was that there were certain themes that were starting to concern folks in middle America, whether it was defund police, uh, that, that mantra that was there, whether it was the impact of the perception that if you elected a Democrat, that you were voting for socialism or for communism even. You know, it may sound off the wall, but there were a lot of folks that actually believed that in certain pockets and parts of the United States. When we tear into what we call the crosstabs of the polls, why are people saying what they're saying? And then we go a little bit deeper and say, where are you getting this information from? It dawns on us that not everybody's like us, eating, drinking, and sleeping this stuff 24 hours a day. There is, there's a lot of folks out there that have got to get up in the morning and make their small business go. They've got to make it survive. There's a lot of folks that still get up and go out onto the farm, uh, worry more so about getting the kids to school and dealing with all the things they have to in the middle of a pandemic. So what we find is the polling gets you just so far. It's the, the gosh, how would I say it, George? It's the uh, translation of the polling to the campaign consultants, the political consultants, like myself. It's we who've got to get it right. And we look at why people are saying what they're saying and believing what they're saying. So if story A on November 3rd, actually it wasn't on November 3rd, it was on November 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th, and yeah. whatever it was, was that Biden at least got enough electoral votes to claim this election, we'll say he won. Yeah. Story A1 was, why was it this close? Why did it take so long to determine mm. who was a winner? Why do you think it was that close? I think it's Why did so many people continue to vote for Donald yeah. Trump? You know, I think a variety of reasons on that. 
some of what I just said, that there were an awful lot of folks out there that believed or bought into the perception that electing uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris would open the door to some of the more left, more uh, progressive issues that Democrats have been campaigning on. Fear of AOC politics, fear of Green New Deal in some places. And it plays in some spots, but not everywhere. It's got to play in Peoria. That's something that a guy like Joe Biden would know from all of his time in politics. And I think he worked hard to try to steer message back to that and try to address, gosh, you know, I'm not a socialist. I'm not for socialism, et cetera. There was a thought initially that, gosh, that's just playing in, in Florida among certain um, Latinx groups, et cetera, who are concerned about communism, et cetera. Uh, but more so, George, I think there's the other part of this piece as to why so close. It's just the nature of the nation right now to, to be so juxtaposed on so many things. It's something that Joe Napolitan, the political consultant, arguably the first modern day political consultant ever, you know, JFK's guy uh, from, from Mondale to uh, uh, Jimmy Carter, a fellow from Springfield, Massachusetts. I think he said it best. Politics is perception and not reality. There were so many perceptions out there to deal with, so many sub-campaigns. And then one other, I guess the other more germane answer I can give to your question, take a look at all the political action committees out there, all the different groups spinning and with their own different agendas and messages out there, pro-gun, anti-gun, pro-abortion, pro-life, et cetera, pro, uh, stunning. All these different strong arguments that really can move people. First and foremost, folks will vote often by their pocketbook, by their wallet. But then there's these heartstring issues, like the ones I just mentioned, that really matter to folks. And I think that that is one of the reasons why the race was still so close uh, and why we still see such a divide in the United States. Interesting. This is Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. I'm George O'Brien, the editor of Business West Magazine. Happy to be with you today. We're talking with Tony Signoli. He's the president of A.L. Signoli Company. A uh, good friend, and uh, I still owe you a, a good lunch for filling in for me all those uh, <laughs> years ago at Difference West when I had my gallbladder on. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Anyway, uh, we're talking about the election, what happened uh, what didn't happen, why what happened happened, why what didn't happen didn't happen. And I guess the question on everybody's minds right now is what's going to happen next. And there are layers and layers and layers mm. to that question as well. Let's start with the transition, how you expect this might go. And mm. already we're seeing signs sure. that this is not going to be, well, the words we use in regards to a transition, seamless or smooth. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to be out of one of those, I don't think. No, not at all. From what we're seeing in just the last 24 to 36 hours, this is not good. And it's more than politics that's at stake here. When you've got a nation dealing with a pandemic, when you've got a nation that has to deal with other nations, whether that be China or Iran, or even with our allies, there's got to be a smooth transition. You know, there are others who will speak better to this than I will, George, but having just been on the periphery of a few of these changes and transitions in the years past, you know, really having, I guess I want to say maybe a third or fourth row seat to see how the hard work gets done. This is serious stuff. It's not politics. It's not campaign versus campaign anymore. There is a necessity for a smooth transition. When in the last 36 hours, we've seen the firing of the secretary of defense that makes a lot of folks, our allies and others nervous. It makes folks in the diplomatic corps nervous. I always like to listen to what they're saying 
former ambassadors, current ambassadors, folks who have served under Republican and Democratic uh, presidents. They're unnerved right now by this. We're all kind of waiting for the adult to walk into the room and say, hey, you know, whatever you think, whatever you want to do, Mr. President, relative to challenging this election, which we don't see a lot of a bit, uh, possibility for him to do that, uh, not a lot of factual evidence to move forward on, on, on the election, you know, being uh, fraudulent or being stolen. But whatever you want to do on that, that's one thing. This is separate. There's got to be a smooth transition. I'm surprised right now, too, George, four years later, to be hearing from folks in the Obama administration and from the early Trump administration, uh, both saying that the transition at that time was not great either, given that basically the Obama folks were saying, OK, great, I'm on in tomorrow morning. I'm in next week. We'll start to make the transfer. We'll start to do what needs to be done. We'll tell you what the codes are. We'll tell you what's, what's what in the files and how you find this out or the other thing. And there was no response from the Trump transition. It sounds like they did not know in the get-go in 2016 uh, how to go about, you know, making transitions. They don't have an example. And frankly, too, a lot of the folks that were in the Trump uh, administration early on are not there now. So hopefully, hopefully, I think what happens is some of the adults, Democrat and Republican, I think even some key Republican senators make the trip to Capitol, to, to Washington, to, uh, to Pennsylvania Avenue, you know, scoot down uh, from Capitol Hill and say, listen, this has got to happen. This is national security. And there's other aspects of this, too, that matter to us in our different states, whether it be Kentucky or Utah or Indiana. Interesting. So the, the name of the show is Business Talk. Uh, we talk about business here. We're talking a little bit more about politics today, but politics have a direct impact on business, obviously. And we're going to talk about that. Every business owner in our region wants to know what's going to happen next. Um, no one really yeah. knows that. Uh, you don't have a crystal ball, but let's start to talk about sure. what could happen next. And, and let's start with some of the obvious things. Let's start with the pandemic. Uh, mm. what, what might change overall in terms of the nation's response to this? Um, how we go about perhaps uh, surviving the pandemic or defeating mm. the pandemic, but without destroying the economy in the process? Yeah, you know, that, that's the piece right now. Given the news from Pfizer, there's hope. We saw what happened with the markets yesterday and even again today, but that's not an economic turnaround. What does it mean to folks here in Western Massachusetts? And that's why I think Business West and this program, this podcast, but what you do every month is so important. Those daily uh, reports I get from Business West every day, mm -hmm. it makes me think all the time about that great line from Tip O'Neill, how all politics is local, that's what matters. And for me, despite being in a lot of different places and having clients in a lot of different areas of the United States, it's what happens at home that's the most important. So we're watching everything you're reporting all the time and getting an indication from you, George, as to what's shaking and going on. We bring that up in our conversations with our elected officials to bring it back to your question and specifically to Western Massachusetts. You know, something we're saying to a lot of folks right now, uh, some of our different corporate clients, some of our business associates and friends, it, what we're saying to elected officials is we're in Western Massachusetts. And gosh, golly gee whiz, a lot of us don't think we really had a big return or rebound from the 2008 recession still. We always hear that story about Western Mass being on the short end of the stick. I mean, that's always there. And that's one thing, too, I say. I appreciate that Business West is always out there fighting for us in that regard. Your editorial page has great weight. It's impacted campaigns that I've been involved with. Uh, so kudos to you there. But right now, Right now, what we're saying in the last 
with, I want to say Friday to today, I've been in seven Zoom conversations, including new legislators and other legislators where we're saying, what can we do to be helpful in this short amount of time? George, the legislature in Massachusetts right now, they're going to go back into session for a short time, try to figure out FY, uh, you know, 21, which is not completely done yet. And think about this change. In just six years, Eric Lesser has only been a senator for six years. And in six years, he's the dean of the Western Mass delegation. No one has served longer in the Senate uh, than he has. So that's amazing. You, you look to people like Lesser. You look to folks who have been there for a little while, like Carlos Gonzalez now, to pick up you know, the mantle and really fight hard for Western Massachusetts. I'm hoping that that's a message that Governor Baker's getting. I know it's a message that the Senate president has gotten in the last 48 hours. Don't forget us out here. So forget my, my kind of rambling answer to your question, but bringing it back here economically, I love something you said early on in this conversation. Politics does impact business. Often I'll say to our corporate clients, yeah, we've got lobbyists. Gosh, we've got lawyers. We've got guys like me. But you know what we really have? It's the elected officials who are our lobbyists. Let's engage with them and tell them what we need. Let's talk a little bit about what might happen uh, locally, obviously, but in Washington, especially. Okay, we've got mm. a new president, but we still have the Republicans controlling the Senate for now, yeah. and we probably will. We've got the Democrats controlling the House, and we've got what in all likelihood will be a one-term president. And most mm -hmm. Absolutely. This hasn't happened in a long time yeah. uh, that I can ever remember, uh, probably not since Lyndon Johnson. I don't think Lyndon Johnson knew at the time that he would only be running for one term. No one's yeah. really run with the expectation that it would be one term in yeah. more than half a century, probably. Yeah. And we all know what that means, that in two years, he moves not into lame duck territory, but pretty close. Right. So what right. can we expect in Washington in terms of being able to get things done? We didn't see much of that the last four years. Are things going to change, Mark? Well, there's a thing. No one really knows. No one can prognosticate ultimately what happens. You know, if Mitch McConnell stays the courses he has in the past, he realizes the time frame that you just laid out. He's only got really two years to fend off whatever it might be that Biden might try to do. What the hope is, is that someone who's been around as long as Biden, who's made as many relationships as he has, who's got this reputation as someone who can uh, speak with Republicans and come to common ground is gonna be able to work with someone like Richie Neal. So here's Neal, who a lot of Republicans look at and say, pretty sharp on the tax code, pretty smart guy, reasonable fella, maybe we can deal with him. That's all on the House side of the ledger. I think what you're gonna see quietly from this White House is to the United States senators who are Democrats, relax, chill. We're not gonna go after the big stuff. We're not gonna go after the, the items that might've been more parochial or you know, those, those issues that might have been dear to you as a Northeast United States senator. We got to think about the overall ball game here. Is there a way to find some consensus to get some real things done? I like something that uh, Richie Neal was talking about in the past and that even Donald Trump seemed at one time to be open to an infrastructure package. You know, cutting through the Democratic and Republican aspect of that, the partisan aspect of it, George, I hear infrastructure and I know what a lot of my clients hear. I know what those in elected officials here and those who are corporate players, when I, we hear money, we hear, wow, it's a la Eisenhower and the interstate uh, projects, et cetera. It's big. Mm -hmm. it's something like that is a necessity right now 
throughout the United States? And is that something we can all come to common ground on? Because whether you're from Kentucky, Utah, or Indiana, you may have someone in the construction business. You may have someone uh, that will benefit from that kind of a big project. Also, you may have a crumbling bridge or you may have a, a waterworks uh, project that needs to happen. we got to find common ground. And I kind of think the common ground is not those issues that polarize us so darn much, but perhaps it's along the lines of economy. What can happen be done and be done that's going to benefit that United States senator who might be a Republican, get on board, make a stimulus package happen, make an infrastructure piece happen. Let's not go to war over health care right now. All right. Well, Tony, thank you very much. You have been uh, helpful as always, insightful as always. We will have you back on soon, Great. maybe in a few months, maybe even a few weeks. To, to anytime at all. Happening and where we can go. I'm happy to hear any time because we'll thank have you. you on again. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. I'm George O'Brien, the editor of Business West. We'll see you next time. 